And you know what? Jesus provides that hope. And he provides that hope in the midst of the passages that we've been working our way through. Because we're in the middle in John, as we've been working our way through, we're in the back half of John, and we're in the middle of a discipleship intensive with Jesus. Jesus is trying to pack in as much as he can before he leaves the disciples to go away. So he's, he's laying it down thick and fast with a whole bunch of just talking at the disciples. There's a few questions interspersed there. So they do call it a, they do call it a um, oh, I've just lost the word, but it's, it's a discussion, you know, a dialogue. But mostly it's just Jesus teaching the disciples for chapter after chapter after chapter. And Jesus is teaching them how they can live in light of the fact that he is going away. What hope do they have when he goes away? Now, many of these truths that we're going to be talking about this morning might seem so basic and normal to you, especially if you've been a Christian for a few years. These things become familiar. I'm sure you might have uh, known the experience, especially if you became a Christian later in life, where you were reading the, the Bible and you were, you were hearing about the truth of the gospel, and these truths were just, it's like a light bulb had been switched on, and all of a sudden you saw this amazing truth that God had for you, and you saw how all the bits fit together, and the wonderful blessing that it was to become a Christian and become part of Christ's family, to be adopted in as a child of God to receive the blessings, to have your sins forgiven. But then, over time, these things kind of, we hear them all the time. I mean, if you're reading your Bible regularly, if you're listening to the preaching of the Word of God, these truths start to become normal because we have heard them so often. So my encouragement to you this morning is, if you've heard these truths a thousand times, I, I want you to... Kind of see if you can discover them afresh, if you can look at them anew, that these isn't just the same old, same old, but try and think of these as if you had never heard them before. Don't let them fall on deaf ears. But if you're not a church regular, if you are not familiar with the, these truths that we're talking about, then please hear these truths as speaking to you. The call that comes to you this morning because these truths have the potential to change your life. It is, it is that simple. And I, I don't use those words lightly. Literally, these words have the potential to change your life. All right. Let's have a look at the passage, at these words that have the potential to change your life. And there's four kind of parts of this passage that we're going to look at. There's four big truths that, that are Jesus is teaching his disciples. The first truth is that Jesus prepares a place for us. Kids, if you're writing down the headings on your worksheet, this is the first one. Jesus prepares a place for us. If you remember where we got up to in the story last time, Jesus was giving his disciples some bad news. He had just told them a bunch of bad news. Firstly, one of the 12 was going to betray him. And we find out that that's Judas Iscariot. He's going to betray Jesus. Even though he's been an insider, even though he's been on the end, receiving end of the blessings of God, uh, of living with Jesus, he's going to betray Jesus. He also told them, hey, look, I'm going away and you can't come with me. 
This guy's been following him for three years. They love him. They have been living together in community and uh, seeing the work of God, hearing the teaching from God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus has said, okay, I'm going away now and you can't come. And so they're, they're probably going to be in despair, thinking how are we going to continue on with our, with our loving, wonderful teacher who's going to depart from us? I, I'm sure you've experienced, uh, perhaps when you were in primary school, when you got to the end of the year and you kind of clicked, hang on, this teacher that I've had for all this year is not going to be my teacher next year. I'm going to move to a different class. And there's a sense of loss and sadness in the fact that this person that you've grown to love, even just over the course of a year, uh, is not going to be there every day anymore. But Jesus is a is greater, more wonderful teacher who is God incarnate, enfleshed, who's been living with them and he's going away. That's sad. That's, that's sad news. And then on top of this, Jesus tells Peter, oh, and by the way, you're going to betray me three times. He's just laid out just three lots of terrible news. And so now Jesus switches to encourage them He's, he's, he's told them what's coming, but he doesn't told them what's coming to lead them to despair. This is actually going to be good in the long run, though it will be tough in the moment. But he wants to lift them up and encourage them. And so he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So Jesus is saying this is not the end. Yes, this bad stuff's coming down the pipeline, but don't fear. Don't worry. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. It's a good thing that Jesus goes away. And in fact, in, in the next passages, he will give us even more good news because when Jesus goes away, he sends the Holy Spirit. But that's, I'm getting ahead of myself there. We'll save that for next time. But this is, this, what Jesus is saying here seems to be coming off the back of, a, of something that he has already been talking about with them. It's like we're being dropped into the middle of a conversation because there's no record in John of Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But here he's saying, I, I told you I was going to prepare a place for you. So we, we must be jumping into a conversation kind of halfway through. But Jesus has been telling us John records several times in the book of John that Jesus is going away. He's going away where the Jews cannot find him. He's going away where the disciples cannot come. But Jesus is also saying, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he says, why would I lie to you? Why would I tell you I'm going to prepare a place for you if I wasn't? What, what good would that do? What would that gain me to lie to you about this? So Jesus is going away to prepare a place. But what is this place that he's going to prepare? Well, he's going to his father's house. My father's house has many rooms. He's going away to prepare a place for them with God the Father. Remember, God the Father is the source of everything that is good and loving. He is the source of life. And so Jesus is going to prepare a place for his disciples to be with God the Father. This is amazing news. This is wonderful. If there's ever a reason for Jesus to depart from his people here on earth, if it's to prepare a place for us to live with God in person, that's a good reason. But the question is, when is this going to happen? 
when is this going to happen? Is Jesus going to prepare a place and he's going to come back? But when is it going to happen? And this is one where we, 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 uh, we run up against the difficulty of trying to lay out a clear picture of what is happening in the future. Throughout the centuries, theologians have struggled to lay out a clear picture of what the future is going to look like in terms of what the Bible tells us about the picture. What is the order of everything? How is it all going to fit together? And I think it's meant to paint us a mosaic. We're not meant to, with a mosaic, if you look at a tile, each tile by itself is not a whole picture. You have to put all the pieces of a mosaic together to get the big picture. And I think that this is one of the tiles in the mosaic of what it's going to be like in the future. And so this is, this is painting a picture of the future of God's people with God. It's a metaphor that God, it's as if God has a big palace and he is going to invite all of his people to come and live with him in that palace. There's a whole bunch of suites and there's going to be, each one is going to be prepared for God's people. And Jesus is the one who's going to prepare them all so that the disciples can take up residence. But you see this picture. This picture isn't for a perfect life in the future. Uh, it's not a picture of the, uh, the kind of cliche of sitting on clouds playing harps. This isn't a picture of uh, God's just going to make everything good again and I'll get on with my life as if God doesn't exist. No, the good life that Jesus is planning for his people is to live in the presence of God. This is the good life that they can look forward to, to come into the presence of God, to live with Him. And Jesus is going to come back and fetch His disciples to go there. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So not only is it to live with God the Father, it's to live with Christ, with Jesus Christ. So even though he's going to leave them, it's only for a short time so that he will come back and retrieve his followers. But now another kind of question that fits into how does this fit in the scheme of the end times and when God's coming back, is this happened already or is it a future thing? Because the disciples aren't here, but Jesus also hasn't come back and fetched his disciples as in the 12 disciples that he was talking to in this passage. So I think that it's a bit of a now and not yet thing, that it's kind of already in process, but it hasn't come to completion yet. Because the Scriptures teach us that when somebody dies, they go, somebody who belongs to Jesus, when they die, they go into the presence of God, that they enter into some form of paradise being with God, but they go without a body. And it will be on the last day when the dead are raised that, the, that those who belong to Jesus will be raised to life and given new, perfect resurrection bodies. And then God will renew the earth and God will live with his people on earth. So right now, the disciples, yes, they are with Jesus in the sense that they have died and their, and their souls, their spirits are with God. But they are not embodied and living with God in the perfect future that God has for his people. So in some sense, we're still waiting for the full fulfillment of Jesus to come back and to take all of his disciples for this, with the renewal of the earth and the judgment of all people. But I think that this picture kind of meshes with the picture that we have of 
the future of the new Jerusalem. If you're looking in the last pages of Revelation, you see a picture of the beautiful city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven like a bride prepared on her wedding day. And she comes down, and this is the, this is the final kind of climactic moment in Revelation where God comes to dwell with his people. There's no temple in the city because God is there in the city. And so this, is, this city is, is kind of, seems to be this place where God's people are going to dwell with God forever. And I think that fits with this picture that Jesus is painting of, I'm going to go away and prepare a mansion with many rooms for my disciples. But I think into the future, it will be in that new creation where we're all together in a renewed heavens and a renewed earth, living with God. So, take heart, you who belong to Jesus. Jesus is not here physically now, but he has gone away to prepare a fantastic future for his disciples, including you and I. If we belong to Jesus, this is our hope and our future. But if you die before Jesus returns, then great. You get to go hang out in the best waiting room that you could ever imagine. It's not just like a waiting room at the doctor's surgery with those tattered magazines and those, those uh, toys that you're not sure if your kids should be putting in their mouth. But this is, a, this is the best waiting room you could imagine. That is waiting in the presence of God, waiting for the, His glorious appearing on the earth and for those renewed resurrection bodies. And who knows, maybe you can be involved in the preparations. Maybe God will let you choose the decor for a room or two or nail in one of the skirting boards in these many rooms that He's preparing for His people. Jesus has not left us here to rot. God's plan is still unfolding and he is preparing a better future for us that will last forever. This light and momentary affliction of this life is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But how will we get there? How will we get on the path to this wonderful future? Well, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to this wonderful future. Kids, if you're writing down those headings, Jesus is the way. Jesus paints his picture of a mansion or a palace that is far away. He's going to get the place ready and they'll come back to retrieve them, to take them there to this palace. But they already know the way to this palace, Jesus says. The path to this place is already known to them. And he's speaking in this metaphor here. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He says this to his disciples. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Because Thomas is confused. Thomas is confused by the metaphor. He says, I, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> we don't know how to get to this weird place that you're talking about. We, they're confused. And so Jesus, so Thomas asks that pertinent question, how can we know the way? How can we know the way? And friends, this is one of the most pertinent questions that you could ask in your life. How can we know the way to God the Father? If you are seeking truth in a world of deception, if you are seeking the path to light 
in a world of darkness. If you are seeking life in a world that only leads to death, you need to ask Jesus this question. How can we know the way? Jesus answers Thomas. He tells him the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one way to God. It is through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's an old uh, song, a fun Sunday school song. Um, you know, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. And this really just opens up this, this just explains this verse really well for us. We don't need to open up a commentary or a Greek lexicon. This puts it so plainly. Without the way, there is no getting to God. Without Jesus, there is no way to God. We are cut off and dead in our sins. Jesus is the only way. And without Jesus, there is no way to know the truth about God. He is the way that we know God and we know the Father, as we're going to talk about more. Without Jesus, the life, there is no eternal life for any of us. You see, no one comes to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. No one. This can seem so hard to get our heads around sometimes because we meet people who seem so nice and lovely, but they're only nice and lovely on the outside. They are just as dead on the inside with the rest of us as being sinners. In fact, it's usually the people who, um, who look the worst on the outside who know that they need somebody else to come in. They know that they need somebody else, some outside force to bring them to God. So nice Mormons and JWs cannot come to God except through Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Jews cannot come to God except through Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures. Muslims, Baha'i, cannot come to God except through Jesus. There are not many roads to God. There is one way, and that is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man. Perhaps you have grown up around spiritual things and you have, you know, you attend church sometimes. Maybe you try and do more good deeds than bad. That's nice. That's, that's good. It's good to do more good than bad. But that will not get you into God's good books. That will not get you into God's presence. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the path, the road to God the Father. There is no other path. He is the truth. There is no other message that is true. It's all deception. In, it's, it's a bit hard to think about sometimes, but the Scriptures teach us that, in essence, all other religions are worshipping demons. And although they may contain nuggets of truth, you know, love your neighbour as yourself, those kinds of things, although other religions contain nuggets of truth, they are, on the whole, a deception that leads away from God. They are lies that soothe people's consciences while they cut themselves off from God. So Jesus is the only truth that you need to come to God. He's the only way. 
He is the life. All other roads, all other truths lead to death. God is the source of life. And so if you do not come to Jesus, then you are cutting yourself off from life. We're all dead men walking. We are trapped in sin, and the result of sin is death. And although we are alive physically in our body for now, many of us are dead in spirit. And so we need God to bring us new life. We need, we need Him to wake us up. We need Him to regenerate us and make us alive in Jesus Christ. He is the way to life and that life abundant. But for the person who is trapped in the here and now, the day-to-day, the world around them, it can be hard to conceive of these things. How can I know that this is legit and not just some fairy tale from a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago? How can I know that Jesus really is the Son of God? Well, even the disciples wondered this, and they were in the presence of Jesus and seen Him do great miracles. And Philip feels like, how, how can we know? Just, and so he just says, show us God. He asks a question, and I'm, the heading is, Jesus shows us God the Father. Kind of gives the answer to the question before we've asked the question. <coughs> but, but Philip is about to ask a question, and Jesus' answer is going to be that Jesus shows us God the Father. Philip said, he's feeling this, you know, just show us, show us God, reveal it, show us that this is all real, that this is true. Give us some experience, some tangible way of knowing. I think he feels like Moses, as we read earlier. As Moses said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm following you, I'm going with you, but Lord, can you please show me your glory? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Philip's question seems innocent enough. He desires to see God. He desires to know God like we all should. But he has got some, he's got a bit of misunderstanding in order to see the Father, he can, only, he can look at the person who is right in front of him. Jesus is the image of the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. You know what it's like when you meet somebody, like you meet a man and then you have his son standing next to you as he's entering into maybe adolescence. And you can see the spitting image of one in the other. Or perhaps when you've seen some of my siblings come visit and we have the same mannerisms and the way, same way that we talk. You can see that we're related and connected. It's the same for Jesus, but even more so. He is the spitting image of his dad. He's a chip off the old block and then some. To see Jesus is to see what God the Father is like. To see Jesus doing things and saying things is to, is to see God's will at work and to hear from God. 
when Jesus is revealed, God the Father is revealed. They're that interconnected. You know, when you hear a voice on the other end of a phone, and even if you don't know the number, you know, you can start, you can pick up the phone and you start listening. And after a few moments, you can figure out if it's somebody that you know. You can recognize the voice. And that's the thing is that for the for those people who were there, for those disciples who've been reading their Old Testament, they know the Old Testament scriptures, and they're hearing the words that Jesus says, they're supposed to be able to recognize the voice of God from what they already know. They should hear and recognize the voice of God on the lips of Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, they should be able to look at the works that Jesus has done, the works, the signs, the wonders, the the way that he has taught, they should be able to look at that and see the evidence of what God has done. That Jesus is from God the Father. That he's on the mission from God the Father. Now, what about for us? We're not 12 disciples. We're not sitting there around that table looking at Jesus physically. We haven't seen the, the signs with our own eyes. But the scriptures show us God. They show us Jesus Christ we have this record prepared for us. And it's not a small record. <laughs> it is a hefty tome. When you print, if you have a Bible that has the same size pages uh, as like a regular novel, and you had printed it all out, we, you would see just how much of God's Word has been delivered to us. And through those pages, there is so much evidence about what God has done. And when we go back and we look through the pages of history, we find sooner or later, that the, the pages of the Bible match up with what we know of history. But the greatest evidence of all is the fact that Jesus died and there was no body. He died because, and he was no body because he rose to life again. We have all this delivered to us so that we might be able to see and know Jesus and by seeing and knowing Jesus we might be able to know the Father and come to him so if you desire to know God if you desire to see Jesus then look for him here this is where you will find him this is where he has revealed himself to us we find this temptation to go and look for the divine in things like you know, there's a, there's the pull that you know, it might pull us towards things like um, traditions with you know churches that have glorious buildings and and age old uh, forms of worship that look so wonderful and and mysterious, and we think well maybe I will find there God there, or there's people who are whipped up into a hysteria, and they've got fog machines and and lighting and uh, emotive music, and we think maybe we will find God there. There are those people who say, well, I go out into nature and that's where I meet with God because they see the beauty of the world around them that God has made. But you will not find the fullness of God in any of these places. You will find Jesus Christ in here. That's why we spend so long every Sunday reading the Word and talking about the Word because we want to meet God. This is where he reveals himself to us. This is why we teach it to our kids. This is why we listen to it. This is why we sing it. Not because of the words themselves are mysterious, but because they show us Jesus Christ.
So Jesus is preparing a place with the Father for his disciples, including us. Jesus is the way to the Father, and he's an exact representation of the Father. But how do we access this way? How do we enter into this way? Jesus is there. That's nice. But how do we take hold of it? Well, we're told, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. It's so simple. It seems so simple. Yet this is the way to eternal life. It's what Jesus said in verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. That is the simple way to Jesus. That's the simple way to the Father, is to believe in Jesus. But we get the shape of that belief down here in verse 11. In verse 11, Jesus says, Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. If Jesus' own testimony was not enough, as we talked about before, just look at the evidence of the works, including the miraculous. Look at the works that he has done. They will prove that he is the one that we should believe and trust in. But as he's saying this, he's saying this in the shadow of the greatest work that he will ever do on earth. And that is he's about to go to the cross. This is the great work so even if they couldn't see in the works in that moment the great work that Jesus was doing, they would soon see it before their very eyes, this great work. Jesus would die on the cross for their sins. Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. He would die on the cross to unite us back to God by taking away our shame, taking away our guilt, taking away all that stands between us and God. And in doing so, he defeats sin but he defeats the effects of sin too. And the effect of sin is death. And so even though Jesus dies in our place, he is then raised to life. He is resurrected. He triumphs over the grave. Death has no hold on him. And now death has no hold on his people who belong to him, who've joined him in this. So the way that we access the house of God, the way to the Father, is by becoming loyal to Jesus, by by trusting in Jesus, by believing on Him. You have to have faith in Him. And when I say have faith, I don't mean the kind of faith that you hear about in kind of pop culture, where you just have to, you have to believe in something. You have to trust that it'll all work out in the end. No, no. You have to have faith in the Jesus that the Scriptures teach us about, the one whose works speak for themselves, the one who has, their, who has spoken to us and shown us what He is like. It's a faith that is founded on Jesus. And so by having that faith and that trust on him, we can enter into eternal life. And not only that, by becoming becoming into Jesus, we also receive great benefits. We actually enter into the work that he is doing. Jesus says, truly, truly, so this is important to listen to, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, excuse me, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me will do the things that I do. They will become like me. 
and they will have the power to do great things through Jesus Christ. But what are these great works? What are these great works that they're going to do? Like, it seems wild to think that God in flesh, that we might be able to do greater works than He. And I don't think they're meant to be greater works in the sense of more miraculous. I think they're meant to be greater in the sense of they're going to be wide-ranging. They're going to spread out, and they're going to have an effect down through the generations and across the world. You think about the work that Paul did to save people. In some sense, you could say that Paul's ministry was greater than Jesus because of the number of people who came to faith through him. But this is not in the sense, trying to set this up, this comparison between Jesus' works and what his disciples do in his name. It's just trying to show us that what Jesus' disciples are called into is this wonderful, earth-shaping, world-changing work where they will go out and take the gospel across the world, where they will go out and they will do great works of compassion and love. There will be great harvest by taken in by Jesus' disciples. And so we are to mimic Jesus in the same way that Jesus does the will of the Father. We are to do the will of Jesus. We're going to go out as imprints of Jesus Christ into the world. And the, one of the ways in which we go out and do these great things is by asking God to accomplish these things. We ask in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name because we are asking for God to be glorified in the Son in the, what we are doing, in what happens in the world. Now, the, the Scriptures tell us, we, it, it, you can pick up verses like this and just say, say, oh, well, I prayed, at the end of my prayer I said, in Jesus' name, amen, therefore it's going to happen. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying there's a magic formula for making prayer happen. This is saying that what, what we pray for that is in Jesus' mission, in Jesus' plan, will come to fruition. What we pray for that is part of God's promises will happen. We can rely on it. And God sometimes waits until we ask. The way that the, the economy of God revolves around us coming to Him and relying on Him. We have the picture in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they were handed everything on a platter. Well, come into the promised land. Your vineyards are ready. The buildings are ready for you. Everything's ready to go. They received it all, and then they forgot the God who gave it all to them. And so when God holds back something from us until we come and ask Him for it, it's a way in which we learn to rely on God. We learn to see that everything that is good that we have comes from God. And so other parts of the Scriptures teach us about how we are to do this. They say, don't, don't ask wrongly to spend onto your passions. So we don't just go and ask God for all the things that we want, that, make, that we think will make us happy. We're not to ask with, with double-mindedness, as if we think God won't hear us or answer our prayers. But we are to ask Him and to rely on Him. As Spurgeon says, C.H. Spurgeon says, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. If you may have everything by asking in His name and nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. Jesus has said that He will supply everything that we need in His name. He will answer every prayer that is in His name. So go and ask Him. Go and ask Him 
Have confidence that he's not withholding good things from you, but he will give all that is in accordance with his perfect plan to glorify the Father in the Son. And John would later write in one of his letters to the churches, he would write more on this idea of prayer. He said, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. And whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We ask without double-minded. We ask in confidence that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So for the disciples there hearing Jesus say these things, they have a great comfort that although Jesus was going away, they could still speak to him and receive from him. They could still ask him and he would supply all their needs. Jesus will still be acting in the world through prayer. So what? <clears throat> Jesus prepares a place for his people. He's preparing a place for us right now. Jesus is the way to that place. Jesus reveals to us God, the, Father, the loving Father who calls us home there. And he is the image of God. The way to Jesus, the way to the Father is to believe and trust in Jesus. And the one who believes and trusts in Jesus has access to the riches of God, has access to, to God answering their prayers and, and delivering um, God delivering on his promises when they ask of him. The one who is in Jesus is powered by Jesus in this world. I hope these truths are a great encouragement to you. Not to despair. I hope they're a great encouragement to you about the hope that you have for the future. And if you are not believing and trusting in Jesus, I hope that this reminds you of what you stand to gain when you join with Jesus and believe and trust in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for these truths that you have given us. We thank you that Jesus is now preparing a place for us and that he will one day return and take us to be with him, that we might be there with you, God the Father, and you, Jesus Christ, God the Son. We thank you for this hope that we have for the future. We thank you for providing the way to that place through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through Jesus and that you call us to come home through him. We thank you, Lord, that this way is open before us if we would only believe and trust in Jesus and the work that he has done on our behalf. Lord, we just, we just thank you. We celebrate what you have done. We praise you and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.